0: Well, let's turn together to the book of Romans, the source of our story, the one place in all the Bible where you'll find the story fleshed out most powerfully and the doctrines that are behind it, Romans chapter 1. What we're going to be talking about today is the antidote to this little story. You may have heard the story about the little boy down under in Australia and after the service was over. Uh, in a church he was crying uh, in one of the pews and so a deacon came over to find out what the matter was and the little boy pointed to one of the scriptures that they had painted on the wall which I guess they do in Australia uh, one of several scriptures that were embossed on the walls of the sanctuary and uh, one, uh, the one that said zeal for thy house hath consumed me and the boy said through his tears he said I'm afraid the zeal will eat me To to which the deacon replied, he said, don't worry, little boy, there's no zeal in this place. (laughs) It wasn't just down under. This is a danger for any Christian and any church, myself included. And we're going to see today that um, God allows stuff to happen in our lives. God allowed all this to happen at Faith Church, all that you've been through, to keep that from happening. He did it in the Roman church, so you're in good company. And he's done it again and again down through the history of the church. Because on our own, that would happen, if you're anything like me. As we'll see today from the Church of Rome, affliction is just his way to keep the zeal in this place, to keep us shining through suffering. It's essential to the power of the gospel. Last week in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 1, we saw really the gospel unveiled in a powerful way. And this week, in verses 8 to 17, we're going to see the gospel unleashed. Paul sums it up in the last two verses of our passage for today, two of the most famous verses in the Bible, in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. So that's where we're going to begin, as you'll see at the top of your notes, with the power of the gospel. And then in the verses that come before, we're going to see its power in practice. These are timeless verses, verses, as we saw last week, that have sparked spiritual revolutions and revivals all the way through the history of the church, where Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And in every generation, there's a reason for being ashamed of it, just like we're going to see at the end is true in our generation, even among churches. But for Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who just believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Classic line, the just shall live by faith, the King James Version. Interestingly, he's talking about the righteous here. He's talking about believers, not just unbelievers, right? That is, the gospel is just as much for the church as it is for the world. It's about coming to faith and equally just as much it's about living by faith. It's from faith to faith, he says here, not faith first and then from work to work the rest of your life. Which means it's by faith, another translation, from first to last. From the beginning to the end of the Christian walk. From the day you take your first breath, you know, as a newborn Christian, till you give him your final breath as a seasoned saint, what we'll be talking about in this book is the power of God for you. Looking at Romans 1.16 next to verse 17 when Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, according to verse 17 it means it's for each step of your walk with God from faith to faith. It means salvation from the penalty of sin as by faith you become a Christian and salvation from the power of sin as by faith you mature as a Christian. And a lot of people get this wrong. It's easy for all of us to fall back into a works mentality. That, that is the gospel is for uh, coming to faith and it's for growing in faith. Now again, you see this fleshed out in the verses that come immediately before. In fact, uh, Romans again, 1, 16 and 17 sum up what we see worked out in practice uh, as Paul talks to the Romans and introduces it all in verses eight to 15. So let's go back to the beginning of our passage today, to verse 8, where Paul shows us how this happens in practice. First he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. That is, your faith has made possible the proclamation of the gospel in the whole world. It's gone from your faith personally, from impacting you by faith, to impacting the whole world by faith. Which moves us to Roman numeral one in your notes. Power for going. And Paul makes it clear that the ultimate priority of the church here first thing he says, in all the world, the ultimate priority of the church, as Christ said, is to go into all the world. That's where he begins. That the gospel be proclaimed in the whole world, from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea to the uttermost parts. We have it now then on good authority that this is our ultimate priority. And of course, it's all through Scripture. And if... If Faith Evangelical Church hasn't been about that over the years, I don't know what it's been about. About our ultimate priority. From Jerusalem to Samaria to Judeo, from Lago Vista neighbor to House of Hope, to helping the homeless right here in our own church, to to, uh, Meals on Wheels, to Habitat for Humanity, which we just announced this morning, to helping our schools in practical ways, to missions trips to supporting a whole host of overseas missions and missionaries from David and Wendy, who we heard from today, to so many others. Churches like yours are what made it possible for my family to serve overseas. In Hong Kong, in Taiwan, in the Philippines, and graduated from high school in Singapore in my growing up years. And churches like these are these days few and far between. You're one of less than 5% churches in America that even has a missions board, an overseas missions board. No wonder you're a target. It was Paul's priority passion that this would happen. So it was also his priority prayer. Prayer. Reading on, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world, moving on to verse nine, for God, whom I serve in my spirit and the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness to how unceasingly I make mention of you in my prayers. He says, your faith is being proclaimed for, because, it's a word of explanation, the idea being, your faith is being proclaimed, verse eight, for, verse nine, because in a good measure, it's due to the fact that I've been praying that this would happen that through you it happened throughout the whole world. He's saying, this is so much of a priority for me that this would happen through you that I have prayed unceasingly for it. It cost him to make it happen. That's how important it was for Paul. That as Christ said, you go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. It was Paul's priority Because it was God's priority. And this is just the tip of an iceberg verse in Scripture. And it's been that way from the beginning. In fact, as some of you know, God's first words to Abraham, the father of the Jews, were words for the world Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house, leave your homeland. So he had to practice it himself to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse you and in you what's God going to do through Abraham that all the families of the earth will be blessed. There it is. God repeated this five times in Genesis. We're just putting Romans eight uh, in a biblical context. Three times to Abraham and again to Isaac and then again to Jacob. God's word begins then with a mission's emphasis. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And it goes on to become one of the uh, fundamental themes of scripture. Like it says in the very middle of the Bible, Psalm 67, Julian, my life verse, uh, let all the nations praise you. Oh God, let all the nations praise you. God, God bless us and keep us and cause his face to shine upon us that thy name be proclaimed in all the earth. That's inscribed on the inside of our wedding rings. Not the words, but the chapter and verse. Let all the nations praise you, O God. And it goes from there through Malachi, through the New Testament, climaxing in the book of Revelation and Revelation 7, where this dream, you might say, comes true where John looked and beheld a great multitude which no one could count from every tribe and nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God. He's done it for us, and we're praising him for it, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That worship service is the whole point of human history. And it passes the baton into eternity. And Paul's passion was to, to, to pack out that service. You see, it's one thing to love our own here in Jerusalem or Samaria here in America because in some way the benefit returns to us either directly or indirectly. We're reclaiming America or however you put it. And that's good. And we've got to do it. Some people are called here. Some are called overseas. But it can't stop here. Missions is like the Dead Sea. If you don't have an overseas missions emphasis, if you don't have an outlet into all the world, the church will, will die. It may look alive, but it's not really alive like it's supposed to be. What really proves the heart of a church is crossing the oceans to share his love. And when you do, when you're loved, Uh, goes to the uttermost parts of the earth, when you have nothing to gain from it except the Father's good pleasure and to be a channel of his blessing, when you love in the uniquely uh, sincere uh, and altruistic way that happened with him when he crossed not the oceans but the heavens to redeem the world, then you're loving like him. And you're fulfilling the ultimate point of the gospel. But of course the blessing does come back to us in so many ways as you've experienced through many years. And that blessing has come back to us recently through a word, almost a prophetic word that's just for us. From across the seas where you've been casting your bread on the waters for so many years. Remember Solomon, cast your bread upon the waters and uh, it will return to you after many days. And in this case, it's returning as a word of encouragement for us at such a time as this. It's an email we received recently from a man named Eric Sittai. As some of you know, it was in my letter for the message of faith last uh, month. In a lot of ways, he's reminding us of the power of the gospel for those who have faith and the blessing of those who do it far better than I could. subject line of this email says this. Capital letters, I'm blessed with your good work in Christ vineyard. Message, grace and peace, servants of God, exclamation mark, is all well with you in other sides of the world. I'm brother Eric, gladly meeting you tonight. Hallelujah, exclamation mark. I just want to inform you that we are praying for you guys. And we appreciate how the living God is blessing your lives and moving in your midst He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Do we need to hear that or what? I can truly testify that you stand for God in truth and spirit. Therefore, keep up the good work you are doing there by edifying the body of Christ in fullness of joy. We need that word too. Anyway, I'm linked to your website and get blessed with your credible teachings and sound doctrines and I'm spiritually touched on how God is using you to touch the lives of others spiritually. We are far from you on another continent and we are listening from what the, uh, the Lord is speaking through you. Surely my attention is captured as I have been going through your web pages. I see you are firm and serious with the things of God. In this way, this is how the church should be. And in America, that's a rare place. We pray God to uplift you to higher heights and expand your boundaries. May the divine wisdom, revelation and understanding be upon you as you serve in his vineyard. May his face shine upon you for choosing to serve him in that simplicity. The kingdom of God is marching forward and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. Amen. Matthew 16:18. Blessed be to the name of God our Lord who is and who was and who is to come. Faithful is he with those who trust in him. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is omnipresent, capital letters, omnipotent capitals, omniscient capitals whose name is above all names. His love and mercies never fails but are new every morning. Then finally, otherwise, may your gates be flooded with joy, love, breakthroughs. We've been prayed for. Greatness, grace, favor, healing, praise, and thanksgiving as you continue pressing toward the mark to win the prize of the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. And then a final word, capital letters, three exclamation marks after it, a blessing on us, blessings. You have been blessed through the years because you've gone into all the world and now it's coming back once again and we will continue to be blessed as never before thanks to what we've been through as we continue to go into all the world. But the gospel is not just for going. It's for growing which is Roman numeral two in your notes and so paul had also been praying something else and that is this that the gospel would be proclaimed to them again that is to the romans to believers because this also was his supreme priority which is roman numeral two again power for growing so much so that he uh Goes on to say that when he prays for them, he always prays something else. Moving on to verse 10. Always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. And then he goes on to explain the reasons he wants to come. And he sums it up in the last verse, verse 15, where he says, So for on my part uh, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And if you read that carefully, you think, preach the gospel to you. I thought you preached the gospel to them, right? He's saying, I want to preach the gospel to you. He would want to come here and preach it to us. But we don't need it, we're saved. Well, if you look at the verses that come in between there, and we don't have time to unpack them all, he talks about both, about establishing the saved and about evangelizing the lost. Just as we saw he summed it up in verses 16 and 17. This was his priority commendation of the church that both of these were happening through the gospel and it was his priority uh, supplication in behalf of the church that it would continue to happen because it was his priority passion for the church that the gospel would be unleashed through them and all around them. Because overall these verses are about preaching the gospel not just to unbelievers that they would come to faith but to believers that they would grow in faith. How does this happen? Well you see it all through the scripture that it, 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 the, the gospel is really the fundamental discipline of the Christian walk. The way it works uh, begins when we're saved But it continues as we are sanctified in the same way, as we respond from the heart to the bad news and the good news. Like we saw, for instance, months ago in Revelation 1, where John fell at his feet as a dead man. Bad news, he is holy. Couldn't stand the sight of him, couldn't look any longer. Broken this mature apostle, and then he touched him in his mercy, and he rose up to, in the fullness of God to write the book of Revelation. It's the pattern. The fundamental discipline of the Christian life, the practice of the gospel, is what we practice every month during communion, so we'll never forget it. Is to go to the cross with nothing but your complete. Inadequacy, your total depravity, with nothing but abject need to come from the cross forgiven entirely in the power of His complete sufficiency. It's a practice that you'll find all through the history of the gospel, and especially in the history of revival, that's what He does. Going from repentance to revival, from brokenness because of sin to wholeness because of him. John Wesley summed up our power for growing like this. Every command in the Bible is covered by a promise. There is the closest connection between the law and the gospel. The law requires us to love God, to love our neighbor, to be meek, humble, and holy. We feel we are not sufficient for these things. Yea, with man this is impossible, truly. Truly. But we hear the good news of the gospel, the promise of God to give us that love and humility and meekness and holiness. And we lay hold of this gospel and we call on the name of the Lord and behold, it is done unto us according to our faith. As that it becomes the pattern of our lives. What Wesley is saying is that the heart of the gospel is this. Our obedience, our God's fullness comes by faith in his promise to give us what we need through Christ who died for us. Our obedience, God's fullness comes by faith in his promise to give us what we need through Christ who died for us. His abundance comes as by faith in his promise we seek him in a posture of repentance as a way of life. You want to be righteous? Well, live by that kind of faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so for 40 days, we are practicing the fundamental discipline of the gospel as the foundation for our faith and as the foundation for our future. And according to the scripture, finally, that future will be far fuller thanks to all that you've suffered, not to mention the zeal. Because you see, the gospel is God's power not just for going, not just for growing, but it's power through suffering. Can't get away from it. The subtext of all this is suffering. It's the historical background to what's going on here with the church at Rome. It's Roman numeral three in your notes and you've been in good company. The reason why they were growing and going into all the world is because they were suffering. Paul wrote the book of Romans in 58 uh, AD and the spread of the gospel throughout the whole world that Paul was talking about here began 10 years earlier in Rome in 49 AD. And you know what? Triggered it, the growing and the going. Well, it was in 49 AD that the Roman Emperor Claudius expelled uh, from the city of Rome uh, all the Jews, Christians included, and those who stayed had to go underground. And thanks to this persecution, things started to happen. Two of the Christians who had to flee Rome were, uh, uh, were Aquila and Priscilla who most of us know of. Remember that godly couple who Paul meant at Corinth? In Acts 18, it says that they had recently come from Italy because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. These were the ones who took none other than Apollos aside a man who was mighty in the scriptures it says and they uh, explained to him the way of God more accurately acts 18:26. So this exiled couple these former members of the Roman church had grown so much under that persecution that they were even mightier in the scriptures than Apollos. Man were they growing and they were going and they ended up being instrumental in starting the church at Corinth. That's just one example that we know of. And Paul said essentially, this kind of thing is going on all over the known world. Thanks to God's power through what you've suffered. What we see going on at the Roman church is what we see again and again in the history of the church. Uh, three things that the gospel is the power of God for going. And the power of God for growing and power exponentially magnified through suffering. It happens most powerfully through the severe mercy of persecution, of discipline, of affliction, which like nothing else awakens the church and brings the zeal back. Awakens them from conventional Christianity. And so in more ways than one, through what happened last year, you've been saved. There's so much at stake here. And it's got to start with us as we stay true to the gospel. And if anything's been true of this church from the beginning, thanks to Jim and many others, you've got those, that in your roots as your foundation. And more and more that's pretty rare. I've wondered about the power of the gospel sometimes looking around us these days. What good does it do? Well, Eddie Weissel summed it up in a tale that he told. He was a Holocaust survivor and a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Listen to this. He talks about this just man who comes to Sodom, as in Sodom and Gomorrah, hoping to save the city. That's what we've become in many ways, even worse. He pickets, he goes from street to street, from marketplace to marketplace, shouting, men and women, repent, what you are doing is wrong. It will kill you, it will destroy you. They laugh, but he goes on shouting until one day a child stops him and says, poor stranger, don't you see that it's useless? Yes, the just man replies. Then why do you go on, the child asks. In the beginning, he says, I was convinced that I would change them. Now I go on shouting because I don't want them to change me. And there are too many churches in America who have turned down the volume and aren't shouting at all, who have strayed from the gospel. Christians are going in the opposite direction than you are. Now the majority of evangelicals believe that people are basically good and so we have no real need of salvation, which is the opposite of the gospel. 60% of evangelicals say that all people will go to heaven whether or not they have prayed to receive Christ. Another 10% don't know, which is not the gospel. 65% of evangelicals believe there is no such thing as absolute truth. Now more than ever, all around us, casual Christians, Christians who have lost zeal are becoming Christian casualties. In good part because they've strayed from the gospel. And if you want a church that's not done that, you've come to the right place. And this as we come back to Romans to conclude is really a bird's eye view of this passage because this what's happened to American Christianity is the opposite of Paul's plan. Paul assumes here what you might call a centrifugal plan for outreach in Romans 1 where we are thrown out. God threw him out too through persecution, but where we, we go into all the world. We'll, we're built up by the gospel to go out with the gospel. And you see this throughout Paul's epistles. But too many churches today have what you might call a centripetal plan of outreach, where we pull the world into the church by just preaching good news. Is it any wonder that the church has become like the world? Is it any wonder that they've changed us? There there are extremes to both approaches. You can become a fortress church uh, on this side of it, and you need to take care of that. But but fundamentally, uh, biblically, not just in the book of Romans, but all through the New Testament, as Chuck Swindoll said, the church is the huddle and we exercise the plays in the world. And if we don't huddle up and build ourselves up and not be compromised with the world, we've got nothing to offer to them. If we don't want them to change us, we must preach the gospel to ourselves. No holds barred. The good news and the bad news. And this book will show us how. It will build on the doctrinal foundation that you have As a congregation, like it says on the website, like Eric saw, first thing, gospel centered. Which is most unusual these days. Oh, we must be faithful to the gospel and not ashamed of it. With it, we've got the power of his forgiveness, of his fullness, of his abundance, of his deliverance through a posture of repentance. It's the power that can deliver us from conventional Christianity, which, as Eric reminded us from another shore can flood our gates with joy, love, breakthroughs, greatness, grace, favor, healing, praise, and thanksgiving as we continue pressing toward the mark to win the prize of the high calling of God through Jesus Christ through the gospel of his Son. When the lights are going out all around us, we've got the power to keep the lights burning within us. As we're built up to go into all the world to share the gospel with all creation through the power of God for growing for going and through suffering Father we do want to thank you that you have given us this power and that you have brought us all to the place where we need to be deep down all the time not wallowing in our guilt but in a healthy posture of need, of lifting hands to you, of realizing that you only are holy, a posture of repentance. Father, help us to experience your fullness as never before. Thank you that it all happened at Calvary through your work, not ours, where this all began. Give us a simple faith to grow and to go through faith in this truth of calvary we pray in jesus name amen